already welcome once again to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and I am coming to you from a midsummery Stockholm in Sweden. And I'm also coming to you a day late, right? So if you're the kind of the person who's hanging on the latches, they say, uh, waiting on your podcast to drop, as this one usually does at 10 o'clock Central European time, I would say mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I'm sorry, lads, right? But it's been extremely busy over the last uh, few weeks or so. My eldest daughter graduated from high school here in Sweden and then a week later we had the Midsummer Festival. Now that won't mean anything to the Irish in Sydney or in Sao Paulo but Jesus here in Sweden it's a big thing and it's basically like Christmas except in the middle of the summer. So there was a huge amount of organisation and stuff went into all that and it's the time of the year as well and again I'm conscious of the fact that half the people listening to this are down below in the southern hemisphere so they're wrapping up now for their winter and we're getting all excited and putting our shorts on and running out for the very short northern European summer and enjoying it lads enjoying the sunshine I have to say but uh yeah, so it's a weird time of the year now because now all the people in Europe and especially in Northern Europe where they take longer holidays than most, they're getting all excited and they're going, right, well, I have to get everything done now because in June, July and August, certainly all of July is very difficult to get anything done in Scandinavia because people just disappear off to some cabin in the woods and they don't come out again until August, uh, until the All-Ireland Finals are being played, more or less. But yeah, so that was about uh, the whole delay. But uh, we had a lovely midsummer celebration here in Sweden. Uh, we got together with a few Irish families here and we, uh, we had a barbecue and we did a traditional Swedish thing with pickled herring and all that crack. So, you know, uh, you know when in Rome, etc. When in Rome, lads. But it led to some fascinating discussions as well that sort of resonate with the Irish community around the world because it sort of struck me that uh, the people that we invited and the people that showed up and that, most of them have lived abroad in various different places. So it's not just in Sweden. They might have lived in Denmark or they might have lived in, in France or this kind of thing. And it was gas crack to sit round after we had a lovely barbecue there um, and to talk about the experience of living abroad and the different cultures that we've lived in and, you know, the different holidays because Midsummer is not a holiday everywhere. Uh, I don't even know if they celebrate it in Norway. I know they do in Finland because it used to be part of Sweden, you know. But, uh, and I'm sure you have that yourself. If you're living in Mexico, you'll have the Cinco de Mayo and you'll have that kind of thing. And then Anzac Day, that's most likely a bank holiday, but you'll be able to tell me better, I'm not sure. Um, But all of those cultural things and how we fit into society as Irish people and what we like about it and what we don't like about it and what we find easy about it and what we don't find easy about it so uh, yeah it was a, a lovely day out altogether. Uh, hanging out with Irish people and the next generation and kids running around the place and two dogs on display and that kind of thing but it was great crack altogether. and uh, we had invited people to a little summer house that we have about two hours outside of Stockholm no run of water that kind of thing and a lawn that you go oh yeah this is brilliant I'll cut this now and it takes you days to do it you know but we had a brilliant day altogether. so uh, we're reaching into that part of the year now and you'll always get the one fellow who says oh the evenings are getting shorter now in Northern Europe now that's great news for you down south but here we don't want to hear that for a few weeks so we'll make the most of a little bit of this sunshine and that kind of thing. Listen, let's get into this interview for this week, right? And it's one of those things that when I started this podcast, right, I wanted to do a couple of things. I always said that the, the original premise of the podcast was that there's no such thing as an ordinary Irish person abroad, right? There's so many of you out there doing fascinating things. And, you know, somebody might be going, oh, sure, you know, I'm just a teacher in Dubai or whatever. Do you know what you're doing? You're forming the next generation of people coming out of there. And they might be locals and they might be, you know, the children of business people 
people or nurses or doctors are working over there whatever you're doing like you know and that too is fascinating as well there's people in sport and in the arts and in business and diplomacy and all that kind of thing but there's also things that are of interest to us as an Irish community one of them was tacked on to the end of last week's interview there with Barry Glendening where I was talking about the passport card, right? This it looks like a driver's license that's available from the Department of Foreign Affairs, and it saved me getting out of Norway because the flight I had that was coming from Oslo back to Stockholm, I had to show a passport because I was leaving from the international terminal. Even though you don't need a passport to get from one to the other, I was traveling with Ethiopian Airlines, and if I hadn't had this passport card, well, it's as simple as that that I wouldn't been able to to get here. I wouldn't been able to get home. I would have been on a train or something like that, or I would have had to they would have had to book me on some other flight, you know. So yeah, these things that are of interest to Irish people abroad. And one thing that has always fascinated me, lads, and I don't want this to sound very morbid, right? But what happens when an Irish person passes away when they're abroad, right? And it's one of those things that when you start thinking about it, obviously, you know, you don't want to think about your own demise or you don't want to think about anybody close to you dying or that kind of thing. But it is something that happens. Accidents happen. Murders happen. And all sorts of people get seriously ill, you know, and that kind of thing. And oftentimes we don't think about it until we're confronted with it. I've been thinking about it for several years now not because i have any interest in what happens to me when i die that'll be up to you know my wife if she's still around or certainly my kids that'll be their decision to make i'm happy wherever they put me because i'll be out of here you know but it is something that is very important to an awful lot of people and that often comes to the fore when somebody passes away suddenly now if you were listening uh, to this podcast appears on something called the arrow man in stockholm podcast feed because that's me arrow man in stockholm that was the first podcast i had now i have the irish and sweden podcast i have this podcast which is called the global gale and i have the premier swedes podcast but on the irish and sweden podcast i think it was back in february you will have heard an episode where i got together with a few lads who knew a man called kevin higgins kevin was an absolutely brilliant character worked here as a psychotherapist in sweden we knew each other through the gaa his brother rory is the coach of Derry city football club and kevin died suddenly back in the winter here in sweden uh, basically had a heart attack and passed away and that was the, the end of it and it was a huge huge shock to us all and that starts you thinking now as i say i've been having conversations with producers for years about maybe making a program or doing something to talk about this subject because i know it's going to be of interest to irish people abroad what do you do when somebody has an accident what do you do when somebody passes away abroad what what can i do if it was to happen to me you know i might be living in in south america or whatever you know i have no family there maybe only there working for a year what what happens then and in the course of Kevin's passing, I've been involved in a few of those incidents before where people have gone missing in Scandinavia and unfortunately have turned up. Uh, they might have either drowned or that kind of thing or died in accidents and that. And that's my involvement has sort of ended there. But after Kevin's passing, I was talking to his brother, Paddy Higgins, and Paddy explained to me about an organisation called the Kevin Bell Patri- Repatriation Trust, right? Kevin Bell was a young man who was killed in a hit-and-run accident in America. And his father, Colin, his mother, Ethna, and his family set up the Repatriation Trust because the local community gathered around them. And Colin will talk about all this in the interview because he's this week's guest. And an awful lot of money was left over. And they decided that they were going to remember Kevin and they were going to honour Kevin's memory by helping other Irish families who found themselves in the same situation. And that was the case with my friend Kevin Higgins when his family wanted and needed him to be repatriated to Limavady uh, for burial. 
And Paddy got in touch with the trust, and I don't know if it was Colin that answered the phone, I think it was, but they said, okay, we've been waiting for your call, because Kevin's death was news there in, in Northern Ireland, uh, just tell us where Kevin is, and give us the number for a contact person, or the name of a contact person, and we'll do the rest. And I thought it was the most amazing thing that I'd ever heard. Can you imagine in your hour of need, in your moment of misery like that, in that moment of great loss and of grief and of horror of somebody passing away suddenly abroad, and that somebody comes in almost like a superhero and says, we've got this, we'll take this from here, we'll be in touch, but we'll bring your son or your daughter home. Can you imagine the comfort that that must have brought to so many families that have dealt with the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust over the year, over the years, and they continue to do it? Very, very shortly, you're going to hear from Colin, but one of the things I'll stress before and after this conversation, you'll hear it in the conversation as well, lads, Kevin talks, or sorry, Colin talks about how they are dependent on donations, right? They don't take money from governments or from anybody else, right? Uh, I know that there was actually a fundraiser here in Sweden, I didn't actually realise it was for the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, but I was actually at the sporting event the following day after the, the fundraising event uh, that was in Yavla, which is about two hours north of Stockholm, where I'm sitting now, right? They're dependent on that money coming in so that they can continue to help Irish families. And I would say to you, if you have the opportunity, whether you're in Dubai or in Dublin or in Durban or wherever you are, get together and see if you can have a pub quiz and put to, throw together a few hundred euro from a raffle or something because this organization there's six or odd million of us six and a half million of us living on the island but on the island but i've always said that this podcast you're listening to now is for the 70 million irish around the globe right there's loads of first and second generation irish immigrants who are, we're all going to be touched by this lads right it's going to happen to my children eventually it's going to happen to your children or, or to somebody near you too maybe somebody that you're working with on a building site or in a hotel or in a bar at the moment right so it's going to and rather than wait and you know i have to have to say right here will we have to go let's make the few bob for these lads now let's do a little bit of fundraising because when you hear the conversation with colin you'll understand exactly how important this service is what they do i mean it's calling it a service makes it sound like you know you're buying a ticket off them but they you know what they provide to irish people is absolutely invaluable anyway this is colin bell on the Global Gale podcast, talking about his son Kevin and the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Enjoy. Colin, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust is named in honour of your son. Could you tell me what happened to him? Well, Kevin was 26. Uh, he loved life he had spent some time in Australia enjoyed travel and he went to New York uh, he had been in New York about 10 months and having the time of his life uh, and really enjoying himself loved absolutely loved New York and went out on a Saturday evening as he would normally uh, and then when he got out of a taxi outside his apartment about a quarter uh, quarter to three on the Sunday morning. Uh, a white van out of control hit him, knocked him onto the road where another car hit him. And I suppose, and both vehicles drove off. And I suppose mercifully, Kevin wouldn't have known too much about it, but he was killed instantly. And um, 
how did you find out about it or wh- how soon did you find out about what had happened to Kevin? Well, uh, uh, Kevin had gone out to a friend of his, uh, Shimmy Toner, originally. And and uh, Shimmy's tor- Shimmy Toner heard about the, the accident, called his, his parents and said, look, you better get up to the bells and and let them know before they get a cold call from the from the police in in uh New York. Now at about quarter to eleven, I this was on the sixteenth of June uh twenty thirteen and I was actually my sixtieth birthday was actually on the fifteenth on the Saturday. And on the Sunday morning, uh we, myself and a couple of my other sons were putting a gazebo up the back garden because we were having a bit of a, a party for my 60th birthday with my parents and ethnic parents and other family members coming to celebrate whenever uh, Shami and Caroline Toner arrived at the door with the devastating news. Um. What was it like to hear that, Colin? I mean, one of your sons away in New York, It's. I mean, it's every parent's nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about it was, uh, it's oh, absolutely devastating. But I mean, when you get news like that, like my, Kevin was one of seven children. He was uh, one of our second uh, sets of twins, and at that stage, uh, I had to go and let his get in touch with his siblings to let them know, the ones that weren't at home, to let them know that Kevin had been killed. And one of our, two of our sons were actually in Australia. Uh, Eamon was in Perth and Connor, he'd gone out for a year and he was on on a bus on the gold, going, to, going to Cairns, going along the Gold Coast. And we had to contact, you know, we had to contact families who were supposed to next couple of hours was spent just get getting the word out to the family that that their brother had been killed you know mm. um in that situation you have to sort of take control i mean you have to be the father to your other children as well as a father to kevin you have to be a husband to your wife you had your own family coming to celebrate your birthday did that in some way sort of distract you from maybe how you would have reacted otherwise <coughs> if you didn't have to do all that yeah, I mean, the, the initial things, there were things to be done. I mean, uh, who else was going to do it, to be honest, you know? Uh, obviously, Ethne wouldn't have been, wasn't in a fit state to, to do anything, so I sort of had to step up to the mark, I suppose, uh, to, to contact the family. But the, the amazing thing was that, you know, it took, we had to drive out to, to our daughter who was heavily pregnant at the time and, and tell her and and by the time we got back I suppose around one o'clock half one uh, our garden was full of, of the word had broken in Uri and, and our garden was full of, of Kevin's friends and I mean they were a massive support to us at the, at, at the start and still are I'm just thinking as well, though, that um, as the, the week we're talking here, it's about a week after the Irish singer Christy Dignam died and the family were sort of asking for privacy. But you you were very happy to have 
Kevin's friends there and to have the people from the local area come and, and support you and that kind of thing. Did, did you get great comfort from that? You did? Absolutely. I mean, I'll often say this, and I've said it to lots of people. I mean, when Kevin died, uh, the the town now Kevin now we would we would have been a well known family in Newry, in that my father had taught in the local, it was vice principal for years in the local Christian Brothers. My mother was a drama teacher in in uh, the Sacred Heart School. My uh, uh, my father in law had was had had uh had. Uh, was the founder of the credit union in Uri. My mother-in-law was president of the of the local fish. Uh, Ethna, my wife, was was a very talented amateur actress, singer, involved in everything. I myself had played a lot of football, played with Down, uh, had, and I played uh, Irish League soccer with Uri, Uri Town as well. And as well as that. I was a teacher in the local school, and uh, I suppose we would have been well known to in the fact that we had uh, seven children under the age of six. We had two sets of twins, and and then uh, three singles, uh, very very quickly. So we were very very well known in the town. So <coughs> excuse me. When news broke, I mean, as I say, the town came around us like a, a blanket. I mean, there was a, a on the Tuesday night. Now Kevin was killed on 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 Sunday, and uh, immediately uh, there was a, a a quiz organized in the Canal Port Hotel, and it raised forty five thousand pounds. There was a fun run and walk on the Thursday night. Uh, and it raised twenty five thousand pounds. There was fundraiser uh, fundraisers in New York where Kevin was killed. There was fundraisers in Australia where Kevin had left his mark, and and all in all, there was uh, in the region of one hundred and fifty thousand pounds raised to bring Kevin home. So, as as I say, the, the town came around us like a blanket. It was amazing. It's, it sounds like the world came around you like a blanket as well, there, Colin. And um, oh, what was the process of bringing Kevin back to Ireland, because I don't think too many people know, and that's really the whole reason I wanted to talk to you, that yeah. when one of us passes away abroad, how difficult was it to get Kevin brought home to you? Well, you, you'll not believe this, but we have now taken one, I think it's 1,575 people home to their families from all parts of the world, and not one of them was quicker than Kevin because Kevin Ethna's cousin uh, uh, in, she lived in Manhattan she knew a lot of the top Irish people in Manhattan Kevin was killed on a Sunday morning his post-mortem took place on Sunday afternoon uh, Kevin was with the Armagh Gaelic team in, in New York the Boys of the team drove NASA, NASA Nigonal, the uh, ethnic cousin, round to every place that they had to go to get permission, get paperwork done. She wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, with the result that Kevin's body was released to the undertaker on Monday and he was on the plane home on Tuesday night and he was in our house on Wednesday. That's from Sunday. Now, 
as I say, we've taken almost 1,600 people home and not one of them ever would has been as quick from anywhere in the world, you know? That's absolutely incredible. I've never heard of anything as quick as that in my life. Um, do you no. mind me asking, was anybody ever held accountable for Kevin's death? No, there's nobody ever, nobody ever. Uh, it's not something that, that, you know, either you could react to that two, two ways. You could be bitter about it or, and, 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 and let it eat at you. Or you just, I mean, it's not going to bring Kevin home. And the fact is that Kevin was gone and there was nothing that we could do about it, you know? Hmm. If you don't mind me asking, you mentioned that Kevin was a was a twin. Was it a, bro- a twin brother or sister he had? Twin brother. A twin yeah. brother. Um, could yeah. I ask you how, how that chap reacted to it? It must have been appalling altogether for him uh, to lose his twin. It was it was disaster. Absolute disaster. It was. And it was a disaster for the next couple of years, to be honest. And then Brenton decided, right, he, he was working in for the civil service, didn't like it and said, right, after Kevin had died, he he, he said, right, I'm going I'm to do something that I really want to do. And he went back to school and did a year's access course and then went to university for four years and got a master's in, in pharmacy. So it really, you know, well, after the initial dreadful time, it, it, it spurred him to, to make something of himself that, and and he's happier now, you know. Mm. Did different members of the family react in different ways, Colin? Because you know, you mentioned there that you weren't all that angry because it wasn't going to bring Kevin back. Was there siblings or was your wife angry that this person or these people who, who did that to Kevin that they were never caught or did did they share your view of it? No, we they would have sh- shared our view. I mean, we're we're as like as I said, like we had the the, the seven children. Uh, under six, so we were incredibly, incredibly close. Mm. So I mean, we're uh, and and still are, and uh, so I mean, as a family, we we well, I suppose it, not that we needed any solidifying, but it, it did bond us, give it an extra bond, I suppose. Um, your children that had to come home from Australia, about 10 years ago, I got a call here in Stockholm in Sweden where I live because my brother was very sick at the time. And they kind of told me, don't rush. You're not going to make it. They expected him to die. And that was probably the worst night of my life. Now, I understand fully that you've endured a worse, a far worse night than I ever did in that situation. But uh, how was that journey home for, for your children who were in Australia? It must have taken them almost as long as it did for Kevin to get back, didn't it? Well, amazingly, again, what it, our Connor was able to get a flight from Cairns and he flew to Perth where Eamon was and we were glad that the two boys didn't have to travel home alone that they had each other coming home and they actually they arrived home on the Tuesday uh, before uh, the day before uh, Kevin arrived home it's fantastic that they were able to do that journey together. I can't think of anything more miserable than traveling from the other side of the world. Um, can you tell me a little about Kevin? Because you mentioned a bit about the Gaelic football there and that kind of thing. Was he a footballer? What kind of a fellow was he? He was a Midland footballer now. He would never have been 
a, a great footballer, but he was a very talented Irish dancer and a very talented set dancer. Himself and Brendan and and Kira, his sister, they actually won. Uh, they won. Scorn and Oak All Ireland medals. Uh, with the uh, with Kilevi, and then they won the uh, score center medals with set dancing. The score the the they won medals for for uh, Kelly dancing, and then they won medals for 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 set dancing. So uh, he, well, Kevin was a big. He was a big big character. You know, he's he he loved life and and he was the type of fellow was if. If he was in the same room as you, you'd know he was there, you know, which, <laughs> which, uh, and, and very, very popular, very, just loved, loved, just loved life, you know. What sort of work was he doing when he was away in Australia and in America there? Was he happy doing <coughs> what he was doing? Anything. He would have done anything. He actually went to, he went to university. He had gone, he had two goals at university. He went to university in Liverpool and did nothing. And then came home because he didn't like the course. Mm. So he just had a good year in Liverpool. And then he came home and went to university in Belfast. But uh, the the student, I think he just loved the student life. He didn't like the fact that he would have to do any work. But that was the type of fellow he was. He was devil McCare. Life was, like, he would never have wasted a minute. I mean, other you would have never seen Kevin... Uh, sitting in, in the house in the evening watching television because he had, he had too much else to do, you know. He was he just loved life, you know. Mm. He had a short life, but he but he had a great life. He he packed an awful lot lot into it by the sound of things, you know. Oh, he did, he did. Um, the, the the reason that you sort of popped up on my radar there recently, Colin, was because a friend of ours here in Sweden named Kevin Hig uh, Kevin Higgins from Limavadi, uh, Kevin passed away very soon uh, suddenly back in in February, and I was talking to his brother Paddy, and Paddy was the one who mentioned that you helped him out, and apparently he said uh, that when Paddy's family contacted you, that you said to them or the trust said to them, "We've been waiting for your call." And all that you needed was the name of a contact person and where Kevin was and that you'd look after the rest. Is that how the re repatriation trust, is that how the whole thing works for you? Yeah. 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 Well, uh, as I say, Kevin, it was Kevin's 10th anniversary there on, on Friday. And in that 10 years, we have, we have, you know, developed a network now. So if a family contacts us, it's not just, I mean, they'll, they'll have just received the worst news that they're ever going to get. And for us to be able to say to them, look, because they don't know who to turn to, what to do, who do they have to go to see, who, and we're, we're able to say, look, we'll take it out of your hands. You don't have to do anything. We'll take care of it all, and we'll also pay for it. So I mean, it's the fact that we can do all that as well as pay for it. I think is 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 just as good as, you know, being able to pay for it. If you understand. Yeah, I mean, it must be a huge weight off minds for families because that's the first thing I think of is a the logistics of repatriating somebody, but then the expense of it. You know, what kind of money are you talking to bring somebody back from from Europe or from America or from Australia? Well, it depends, and it really depends to what part. I mean, it can it can vary significantly. You could get 
actually somebody home from San Francisco cheaper than you can get somebody home from from New York, you know, for some strange reason. And different parts of 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 Australia would be the same. But take somebody, for example, home from Australia is going to cost in the region of maybe twelve to fourteen thousand uh, Australian dollars, which is maybe seven or eight thousand pounds. To take somebody from Europe is generally in the region of of five thousand, six thousand pounds. Take somebody from America could be it could be between eight and and fourteen thousand pounds, you know, but when we where we are so lucky that people people have taken our trust to heart. So we we don't have to haggle if it's if the toll made it'll cost forty thousand pounds to take somebody home, we'll pay it. Because there's a family waiting, do you know what I mean? Hmm. So when we're we're, as I say, people, it's like self perpetuating because families do fundraisers for us. People who who have no, who didn't lose anybody, do fundraisers for us. There's a fundraiser for us maybe in Dubai this weekend or Australia or or New York. There's fundraisers going on throughout Ireland for us. And and uh, the, that money is there to help the the next next family and the next family because unfortunately, I mean this week, uh, it's been a horrific because I think I think there are nine nine tragedies this week, you know when you from all parts of the world, you know. Mm. And what does that money go on? And I like I don't want to sound like that's a stupid question, Colin. But is it is that go, does that go to the airline? Does it go to the coroner? It, it, like does it go to the it undertaker? Goes, no, mostly the undertaker. We have contacts now with undertakers. The undertakers will will do all the job. Will will you know? It it I'd say mostly that and and the airline. You know, just whatever. Whatever it takes, uh, it uh, that's what we pay, you know. Hmm. And would you have to call like a travel agent now? Say it like you know, if I was to pass away in the morning, I hope I don't. But like, would you call SAS? Would you call Ryanair? Or do you know already? You know, did you have people on the ground in San Francisco or in in New York oh, yeah. or in Sydney? Yeah, yeah, we're we're very lucky in that. Well, as say, the very few places now that we haven't taken somebody from, hmm. but generally it's the undertakers. Do the main on the far side will do the most of the work or all of the work and 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 all honest, you know. Hmm. Um, is there a lot of complications in these situations? Because I can imagine that some people die of natural causes. Some people die in traffic accidents, as Kevin did. Some people die in even worse circumstances, perhaps than that. Is it, can it be difficult to repatriate somebody? Can it take a long time at times? Oh yeah, sometimes you know what I mean. There, there are cases where I mean, in the case of and it, this has happened, like where somebody has been murdered. You know, I mean, to, to get to it might take an extra couple of weeks before the body is released. You know, uh, cases like that where we took actually somebody home from Kiev. There was it last year, the year before, and we were so lucky that we got that body out on a Wednesday before the before the, the war broke out on the Thursday, you know, so you can be lucky or or you can be unlucky, 
you know, every case really has is 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 has its own has its own, you know, either it can either run very smoothly or there can be difficulties, but the generally now, once we're once it's up and running, uh, like I mean, it can take. Generally, from from Europe, it could take maybe seven to ten days. From Australia, it might take two weeks. Now, you imagine a, a family at home waiting for for you know, I mean, this two weeks of just waiting, not being able to do anything. But there's nothing, there's nothing you really you can do. You know, it takes because apart from anything else, it, I mean, you just can't fly a body out of Australia. I mean, there has to be. Just to go to courts and paperwork has to be done, and you know, so it's it's a complicated process, right? Enough, yeah. How involved are you in the day to day running of it still, Colin? Is this what you do now? You know, I'm so are you retired from teaching now? Oh, yeah. Well, to be honest, uh, Kevin was killed on the 16th of June, and I was just finishing 20, 39 years of teaching, and uh, I went back to school in September, and then, believe it or not, in in February, Kevin's first cousin, my, my wife's uh, sister's son, was killed in a hit and run in February in in San Francisco. So that was the end of me in school. That I, but I got my forty years done and and pension. But I no, I'm totally involved. I'm I'm. 24 hours a day on this, you know. Mm. Um, what's it like to be answering the phone when families call you up? I'd assume that, you know, it's a horrible thing to say, but after 1,600, almost 1,600 cases, you're probably well used to those calls in the middle of the night now, are you? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But the thing is, uh, those families know too, excuse me, that, that they're talking to somebody who has been in, in that position. You know, it's unfortunately we we have met so 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 many families and we've come great friends with with so many families. It's uh, in all honesty, it's 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 like a club, but it's not a club that you'd want to to be in. But uh, but the, the amazing thing is that I mean, uh, the the world is such a small place now, and the Irish are everywhere. You know, and tragedies do happen, and accidents happen, and uh, so as I say, we're we're just glad that that we are so well supported, and and that we can step in immediately. You know. Mm. You think that, you know, when we're young fellas and young ones, I was, I think the first time I left Ireland, I went to Greece when I was about 19 or so. And at that stage, you think you're bulletproof. You think that there's nothing oh. could ever catch up with you, you know? Um, is, is there yeah. anything we can do, Colin, you know, to say my eldest is 18 now, she moves out. Do, do we have to think about the kinds of travel insurance? Is there anything we can make to do to make life easier in the event that they should suffer an accident or, or indeed if they should pass away abroad? Is there any way we can prepare for that eventuality? Just insurance, insurance, pure and simple, pure and simple. If 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 these people, young people, had insurance, then we wouldn't be needed. Hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the insurance. I mean, there are a lot more people, Irish people, killed abroad than we bring home. Obviously, you know. But if they have insurance, that's 
that's the family's first port of call. And we're really only doing what an insurance company would do, except that we're 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 paying for it. Um, you mentioned there that there's fundraisers take place uh, pretty much all over the world. You mentioned Dubai there, and I can tell you something for nothing. We'll be holding one in Sweden now soon enough as a gesture of gratitude for what you did for Kevin and, and for Kevin Higgins and for his family. Um, how healthy is the organisation at the moment? I'm assuming you're you're dependent on that kind of fundraising to be able to do the work that you do. Oh, absolutely. We, I mean, we don't get any funding from, we're like, we work 32 counties, you know, north and south and we don't get funding from government north or south so i mean oh, oh, the only the only money we receive is is through donations but and having said that we're also we're, we're probably unique charity in that that there's nobody gets paid in this charity you know what i mean so if somebody gives a a pound or a kroner or a dollar i mean that is Hundred percent of it will go towards what it's meant to do. You know. Um, does every embassy, British and Irish, around the world, know that you exist by now? I'm sure you probably had dealings with most of them by now. Have you? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I I think it was two years into into the uh in from we started the trust. I had a meeting, it was actually Jimmy Deenan was the minister for the diaspora. And I had a meeting with him in in Dublin. And from that meeting, every embassy, uh, Irish embassy and consulate in the world have our number. So if uh, or, or if somebody contacts the Department of Foreign Affairs in Dublin, they automatically get our phone number. So... That's how, and then of course, I mean, there is there's hardly a parish now in 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 Ireland that that we haven't taken somebody from. So once these things happen, a lot of people will will say, look, contact the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust because at this stage, ten years down the line, we're we're pretty well known, you know. Mm. Um, do you get a lot of calls in general? Because like some of the calls, obviously, you're going to be able to help. It's it's going to be somebody who's passed away. Do you get calls for other kinds of emergencies as well oh, that yeah, you don't yeah. deal with? Yes, I mean we will we'll get we'll well mainly two types of calls. I mean, there's like uh, people looking for medical repatriation. You know, maybe somebody who has taken ill and wants to be brought home, but or or somebody from Poland and Ireland has died and wants to be repatriated. But uh, that's outside our remit. Our remit was, and the articles that we were set up on, under is, is to, to bring uh, uh, people home to Ireland, to their families. So in all honesty, we're, you know, uh, we you can only do so much you know, so our our remit is to bring people home to Ireland, and that's what we do. And amazingly, there's no other, as far as we know, there's no equivalent charity in any other country. You know, I think we're unique. Yeah, if there is, I certainly haven't come across them yet, Colin. Are you? No. Are you happy with the relationship that you have with the Department of Foreign Affairs, with the government, uh, with the Irish government, or do you think that there's more maybe that they could do to help in these situations? 
generally I'm 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 very ha- happy. Uh, you know, yeah, anything anything that I need, I can get, and I, they'll give me any help that they can. They, I mean, the uh, fact of the matter is, they could, you know, they they would offer me maybe a hundred thousand from the from the immigrant support uh, program, but. If they were to do that, they have some sort of claim on that they repatriate, and that that's this is Kevin's, you know, this is Kevin's legacy. It's not anybody else's. So we're, you know, we're we're very loathed. We wouldn't be taken and anyway, a th- a thousand or a hundred thousand euro mightn't last. We, we could spend that in a month, if you understand. So. Yeah. Uh, so we're happy that this is Kevin's legacy. It's in Kevin's name. It's to remember Kevin, and people are, as I say, we're unique. That's purely because of because we're Irish, and and community is so important to the Irish, and uh, as we know ourselves, the 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 importance of 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 neighbours and friends. Um, when Kevin Higgins passed away there earlier on this year, and then uh, the family told me that the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust was bringing him home, and it just struck me that it was like it was kind of, of course, this exists in Ireland because it's such a typically Irish idea, and especially in places like Newry and places like Limavady and and everywhere else in, in Ireland that your neighbours gather around you. Is that something that? is almost unique in your experience because you've been talking to people all over the world, I'd assume, in the last decade. Is it something that's very unique? Oh, totally, totally unique. Well, absolutely unique. Uh, that's that's why this trust works. Uh, and it's families helping the next family and the next family. And I, I know that we were approached by uh, a lady whose son, from she was from uh, Glasgow, and her son uh, was killed in Thailand, and she was trying to set up the same, you know, uh, 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 same sort of uh, uh, un- using us as a model, but just couldn't get off the ground because I don't know whether. And I actually went and met with her and met the the minister for the diaspora in 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 Edinburgh, and he couldn't under he. Couldn't understand how it worked for us, you know. And yet, I'd say there's very little question. You mentioned there that people organise fundraisers almost without even telling you and just send you the check kind of thing. Do you find yeah. people to be very generous around the world? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, amazing, amazing. In fact, uh, I w- there was a young fellow from from uh, Dungannon, young hurler. You might have heard of him. Uh, Damien, oh, what do you call it? Died. His name will come to me. I'm sorry, it should be on the tip of my tongue. But he died. Uh, he was at a, a wedding in Portugal. Now, he was a played hurling for a very, very, very talented uh, hurler and very, very well known. And a lot of his friends were in Sydney, in Australia. And they organized a massive fundraiser, six, seven hundred people at a black tie event 
and they actually flew myself and Ethan out to be at it. And there was something like something in the region of 280, uh, two, 280,000 uh, uh, Australian dollars raised in that one night. You know what I mean? So amazing money, you know. It's phenomenal. And, oh, yeah, yeah. So, and, yet, and yet it's probably all spent by now, is it? Oh, well, thankfully it's not. Well, thankfully we've, we've enough in reserve to keep us going. Yeah. Um, how important is it to keep this going on? Because, again, one of the things I wanted to ask you is what we can do for you as Irish people abroad. And I assume that the best thing we can do for you is to organise a black tie event or a golf classic or something just to keep the money ticking in there so that the trust yeah. can keep doing its work. Yeah, it doesn't, ha it doesn't have to be a big event. Uh, a night in a, in, a, in a pub with a raffle anywhere is a great night. And I mean, it it it's where we don't survive on 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 the big, on the big big ones. We survive on on the money that comes in daily and weekly. Hmm. Um, over the last ten years of doing this, uh, what's the biggest lesson that this has taught you, Colin? The biggest lesson, well, possibly what what we've just been talking about that. That that Ireland is the the probably the best. I would say Newry is the best place in the world to live in. Uh, Ireland is definitely the most the most uh, uh, the they they know what community is. Community is so so important, and their friendships, their families, and 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 being there for. For everybody else, or for somebody else, and especially in times of of, of sorrow or difficulty. Mm. Um, has it become easier for you over the years? Because obviously, helping almost sixteen hundred families, there are conversations that you learn to have because you have them so often. Has that gotten easier for you? Do you think? Oh, I, I would, I would definitely say so. I, I definitely, definitely, the fact that that Kevin hasn't. You know, hasn't died for nothing. That that he's still remembered and and still talked about throughout the world is is you know cathartic or whatever that word is cathartic, yeah, cathartic for us in that you know it it gives us you know we have a purpose in life ourselves in life you know I'm retired now and and I can devote my time to this and. And and I mean, what better way to remember your son than than through helping others? You know, indeed. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they need your help, Colin? Oh, very simply, uh, just go to the website, and either I mean, my phone number is there all the time, and of course, there's all details on on the www.kevinbellrepatriationtrust.com, and. They'll get through to me. All the details are there. There's the official uh, info. There's the fundraising tab. There's how to get donations in there. And then, of course, there's the contact uh, form there. I use the contact form to get in touch with you. And you got back to me in, in absolutely no time at all there. And your email address is there. And Damien Ruddy's email address is there. What's the future, Colin? How like how long will you be able to keep doing this now in your retirement, do you think? Do you think that, you know, will this be kept within the family forevermore, hopefully? Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Well, I mean, 
I mean, there has to be a plan of succession, of course, and and possibly one of the children will take over, or if not, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, somebody, I mean, we've got the most fantastic group of, of trustees who were all either friends of Kevin or friends of ours. And, I mean, as I say, we're a registered charity north and south. We have to be, we have to, play by the rules we have to and and with the great people involved you know so i i have no no fears if i if i was to god forbid be killed tomorrow this trust will go on you know it'll keep going on and i'm assuming it's a cross community thing in the north as well you don't ask any questions no no it's totally cross community yeah uh, Colin, it's fantastic work that you're doing. Um, how do you feel about Kevin now, a decade on? Do you feel that this has somehow helped you in your grief? Because obviously you'd wish it never happened, but has this helped you come to terms with Kevin's passing? Absolutely. As I was saying, I mean, Kevin didn't die for nothing. Something something good has come out of, of Kevin. Kevin always said, funny when he's grown up, was say the agent that he was, he always said that... Uh, that he would be famous and I suppose in a way he is now, you know. It certainly came true and in a way that helped not just himself and yourself and the people of Newry, but in a way that's helped Irish people all over the world. Colin Bell of the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, thanks so much for talking to me. A real pleasure, Philip. Thank you very much. There you go. That was Colin Bell talking to me there from his home in Northern Ireland, an amazing man altogether and just a fantastic character and a fantastic organisation. If you ever need the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, you can find them uh, at, let me see now, I want to get this address right, it's kevinbellrepatriationtrust.com, kevinbellrepatriationtrust.com and you'll find all the information about the organisation there, how you can donate, how you can raise funds and also how you can contact them in your hour of need. And as I said, just before we get into that conversation there, right, don't wait. Let's do this sooner rather than later. Let's get together as a community around this podcast. Maybe this might be the thing that ignites everybody, right? Let's see if we can raise a few bob for them. I'll undertake making some sort of a fundraising. We might even do an live podcast here in Sweden on the Irish and Sweden side of it. And let's do that and send the money to the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. Because when you hear that almost 1,600 people have been helped, it's touched every county, probably every village in Ireland at this point, north and south. And they're doing fantastic work there. And this is something that needs to go on. Because, like, you know, I've heard so many times of families as well especially in America and that kind of thing where healthcare is so expensive and that, you know, where you think, oh, Jesus, you know, the financial burden of having to bring somebody home and that, it's just immense, you know. So to have an organisation like that out there that is able to help is absolutely tremendous for, for people who may not have those kinds of resources, you know. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I have to say, when I was talking to Colin, I actually found it, despite the fact that the subject matter is so tough for a lot of people, I found it very uplifting and it's it's very inspiring to hear a man like that who's very aware of uh, of the fact that you know he'll have to hand over the reins now you know at some point in the near future but you know that this is the way that his son is going to live on and there's a great beauty in that and there's a great sense of of satisfaction in that as well you know it's just it's ma- magnificent to be able to do something like that i mean i think we'd all love to be remembered in a way like that so i do think that it's it's valid and it's valuable and i do think that you know we we really do a great job of that you know in terms of you know 
there's a sort of a joke around here because like you know when people pass away in Sweden it might take a month before the funeral would happen because you know everybody has to get their stuff sorted out whereas in Ireland we do it very quickly but we do it very well and one of the things that we do very well is to remember the people who passed before us and this is a sort of an extension of that but as I say I do think that you know if you can put your thinking cap on now throw it out in your Facebook groups and that kind of thing and let's see if we can raise a few bob for the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust because it is it will touch us all at one point in our lives God knows it might be one of us that needs it next lads right I hope you enjoyed that podcast uh, there's going to be a good few podcasts coming up now over the next few weeks I would hope uh, because even if it's the summer holidays in Sweden I don't intend to stop there'll be a few uh, dingers on the Irish and Sweden podcasts I've lined up as well and uh, oh, there's all sorts of sport and stuff and there'll also be plenty around the Women's World Cup right so uh, you may be sort of you know if you're not into soccer and that kind of thing I may have to ask you to bear with me for a little while because the Irish women have qualified for the first time they're going to be playing against the host Australia in uh, one of the opening games of the World Cup they're going to be playing against Canada, the Olympic champions, and they're going to be playing against Nigeria. And it's the first time that the Irish women's team have qualified. And that gives us a great opportunity. I've been covering the women's game for a long time myself, and I'm delighted that this is happening. And yeah, geez, who knows? I would have loved to have gotten down to Australia, and I might just get there yet. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to people who will be able to tell you a little bit more about those teams, and I'll hopefully be talking to somebody from the Ireland camp as well. Uh, a little bit more about that when we get to that, you know, but just so that you're sort of ready to, in, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tool you up, right, we'll give you all the information that you need to be able to enjoy these games, and a little bit of background again about Canada, and about Australia, and about um, Nigeria as well, because, you know, it's always, you get more out of the game if you know what's going into it, you know, and we get a little bit of background about Ireland, of course, it'll all be about the Irish Celtics at the end of the day. That is it for this week, as I say, the Irish and Sweden podcast, that'll also be a little bit way late, but only about 12 hours late rather than 24 hours hours late like this one and then whatever happens after that in the meantime uh, look after yourself look after one another and if you need the kevin bell repatriation trust kevin bell repatriation trust.com is where you need to go and i'll talk to you again very very soon indeed on the global gale podcast good luck <laughs>